Sometimes I wish my words were attached to a string. Because that way, if they were, when they left my mouth, before my brain had reviewed them and given its approval, I could somehow grab them and pull them back in before they reached someone's ear. Now, we know that's impossible. But you know what I'm talking about. All of us have said something that we wish we had not said, but it's out there and there's nothing that we can do about it. We've said it. People have heard it. We've all left a message on an answering machine that we wished we hadn't left and wished there was some magic way that we could just dial up a number and cause it to disappear before the person heard it. We've all sent text messages or emails that as soon as we hit the send button, we wish we could hit an unsend button quickly, but it's gone and it's out there. You know what I'm talking about. All of us have done that. Our daily conversations are not just about the content of what we say, but they're also about the method or how we say those words. We've been looking in the fourth chapter of Colossians how Paul talks about us being difference makers and making a difference in, in the lives of other people. We, we've talked about how we are to pray diligently and then he tells us to act wisely. But today he gives us some instructions about our speech. And he says in Colossians 4 verse 6, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul says that those of us who are believers, our speech should be marked by a couple of things. One, it should, they, our words should be full of grace. And secondly, seasoned with salt. Those who heard Paul or read his letter when he said full of grace, because of the way he said it, they would, some of them would have interpreted it as him saying charming. In other words, when you speak, you are to be Charming. That's how some of them would have understood that. And, and that sounds okay. I mean, I suppose we want to be charming, but let's think about it. The snake that tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden was charming. And all of us know or have had a relationship with you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. They were charming. Now, they turned out not to be, but they sure sounded charming. We've all been cheated by someone, a con man maybe, who sounded charming. And then some preachers even, they sound charming, but when you get to their theology and their doctrine, you find out it's anything but charming, rather it's rotten at its core. In fact, John's assessment of such people comes to mind, 1 John 4, 5 says this, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. Well, if Paul is not really saying that we are to be charming, what, what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying this. He, he's telling us to let our speech always be with the graciousness that is appropriate for the Christian. You know, the Christian, those of us who live in a state of grace, those of us who have known the grace of Jesus Christ, we are, we are to speak from that perspective when we talk to others. 
Because the source of, of gracious speech is not inside of ourselves. But rather the source comes from a relationship. Our gracious speech comes from a loving spirit that lives in us and is put there by a loving God. And our relationship with him determines our speech. Now people in today's society, and rightly so, they're tired of frauds and they're tired of con people. They really are. You can see it all over. So we, as God's people, need to be very careful that we are genuine in our speech, that we are compassionate in our speech, that we are loving in our speech in such a way that reflects a genuine relationship with Christ. The second thing he says is that our speech is to be seasoned with salt. Do you know that salt, actually I'm told, has 14,000 different uses? I didn't look all of those up, but... If you're bored this afternoon and want something to do, I suppose that might be something you could do on a Sunday afternoon. But there were three popular uses for salt in Paul's day. They were all related to food. One of them was to preserve food. Another was to sterilize food. And another was to season food. So I guess you can draw some parallels when he says that, that our speech is to be seasoned with salt to those particular uses. For example... We want our words to have a preserving quality. In our society, we, we want our words to have a preserving quality, not a quality that damages society and relationships. Uh, we don't want our words to contaminate society. We want to speak words that will bring wholeness and healing in society, not pollute and contaminate. And... We want to make society have the flavor that God intends for it to have. Not bringing attention to ourselves, but rather to make society or help make society what it's supposed to be and what God wants it to be. And it can also mean that we don't want our speech to be bland. Nobody's going to be attracted to Christ if our speech is bland. If we're bland people and have bland speech and a bland relationship with Christ. No, we, we want to season it. Again, not so that they can taste the salt so much but that they want to know it because they want to know Christ because we have made him attractive through our speech to them Paul in, in essence wants our speech to be acceptable and he wants it to be inoffensive but there was another use for salt in scripture that is not that well known at least for most of us and it's found in Leviticus 2.13. It says, Season all your grain offerings with salt to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Never forget to add salt to your grain offerings. The, the grain offerings were sacrifices that were made to show honor and respect to God. They were also to recognize the fact that God was the owner of everything. But the grain offerings, according to Leviticus, were supposed to be seasoned with salt. And one of the, the reasons was it was to remind them of the covenant. Because the covenant was everlasting. And in other words, if, if they seasoned their grain offerings with salt, then their offerings would be incorruptible, just like God's covenant with them was incorruptible. But salt also signified purity. 
the idea that, that the offering was to be pure. And so putting salt in the offering symbolized that the, the sacrifice that was being made was pure. But it also signified the idea that the heart and the lives of the one who was offering the sacrifice were pure as well. So how in the world does this relate to speech? Well, maybe Paul is, is saying to us that we need to realize that our speech is an offering. It's a sacrifice. It's part of worship to God. And as such, not only does our gift need to be pure, but also our hearts and our lives do as well. It's an act of worship. Our speech is an act of worship. Worship is just not something that we do on Sunday morning. Worship involves the whole of life. In fact, all our lives are just one big act of worship. And as such, our speech is part of it. And it's not just what we say to God. It's not just what we say to God. Here in this context, at least from Paul's perspective, he's talking about our speech to other people, particularly those who are outside of the faith. Perhaps if we looked at our speech as an act of worship, then we might be more careful about what we say and the way that we say it. But finally, Paul says that our conversation needs to be suited for each person. He says that, that we need to know how to answer everyone. Now, certainly you could take this to mean that it's important for us to give good, solid answers to anyone who asks us any kind of question. I guess that's possible. And you could say, well, you know, it, maybe it's that we should give good answers when we're talking about others about the faith. And, and that's possible too. And all of those things are important. But the primary thing that Paul's talking about here is that we need to be able to give people answers who might not be friendly to the faith. Those who are hostile to the faith or those who are outside of the faith, we need to be able to give them answers. You see, Paul, when he wrote this, was awaiting trial. Paul made people mad by what he said. When he preached the gospel, it angered people. When he talked about his faith, it angered people. There were a lot of objectors to what Paul had to say. So Paul is saying to the Colossians here and to us, look, you need to know how to answer people who are not friendly to the faith, people who will challenge your faith. You need to know how to give an answer about your faith when people do that. In other words, the method of answering and the content are very important to how we do. Graciousness and sensitivity are what Paul talks about. Richard Mellick Jr. writes that sound answers offered with a positive spirit overcome many obstacles to the gospel. So, how do we go about learning how to do that? How do we know how to give right answers in, in the proper way when people confront us or challenge our faith? I want to look at a passage from 1 Peter. Peter says some of the same things that, that Paul writes to the Colossians, but adds a few things as well. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness 
and respect. How we do it, according to Peter, is we need to put it in the context of Christ being the Lord of our lives. If we are believers, listen to this carefully, Christ is the Lord of our lives. We don't always allow him to be, but he is. So our speech needs to be put in that context. When we respond to someone's question about our faith, we need to do it in that context. Because our speech is not just some little private reality. It comes from inside of us. If Christ is the Lord of our lives, our speech will reflect that. What's inside will come outside, good or bad. But if Christ is the Lord of our lives, then what is brewing internally is something that God wants us to present externally. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to become the greatest theologian in the history of the world. This doesn't mean that you need to become the greatest Christian apologist that ever lived. But what it means is that every believer needs to grasp the essentials of the faith in a confident way in order that they can answer questions when asked. Peter here mentions for you to defend the reason for the hope that is in you. You need to be able to explain that. Not in some great theological way, but even if it's in a personal way of what God has done in your life. Those are the kinds of things that Peter is talking about for us. So when you encounter someone who might challenge your faith, our temptation is to respond either defensively or aggressively. But he says here, we are to respond not by attacking the person who is challenging us, but rather he says that we are to respond to them with gentleness and with respect. Now here's the interesting part about that. When you read this, the first way that, that I read it, I think, well, he's talking about that I should respond with gentleness and respect of the other person. That's not what Peter's saying here. What, what Peter is saying is, are two different things. He's saying that we are to respond to the person who is asking us the question with gentleness. The respect part relates to God. In other words, we are to respond in a gentle way to someone who challenges our faith, keeping in mind a healthy respect for God and his truth. In other words, we don't want to compromise what God's truth and what we say just because we want to be gentle. We have to have a respect for God in our answer. But part of that respect is also letting the Holy Spirit guide us in the way that we answer those questions and those challenges. It's a difficult balance. It really is because we, we, we like, it seems like we come down heavily on one side or the other. Either we're real aggressive and, and, and defensive and we drive people away or, or we are so gentle sometimes that we actually kind of compromise uh, our answer in the faith. It's, it's a difficult blend, a difficult thing to put together in your life, a difficult balance. But it's important and it makes all the difference in the world and it's one that we need to. Maxie Dunham uh, writes that, he says, how can we speak, oh, I'm sorry, how we speak and what we say can bless or curse, create or destroy. Words can also bless and heal, encourage and give hope. 
if we are really going to make a difference in the lives of others, if we are really going to make a difference in our community, if we are really going to make a difference in our world, we have to be careful how we speak. And as I said before, it needs to come from our relationship with Christ because if it is right on the inside, then it is much more likely that what comes out is going to be the right thing to say. If we rely on ourselves, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Let Christ be the Lord of your life, and everything else will flow from that. We've talked the last three weeks about Paul's difference maker comments to the Colossians. And I want us to read it in its entirety today as we close. Colossians 2, beginning, 4, beginning in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray.